Lord, may your word live in us and bear much fruit to your glory. Amen. Christmas is about many things. Family, children. The toddler in the apartment above us was full of raucous noise this morning. I ate my breakfast at 7 o'clock in the morning or 6.30. Relationships. That's why when you are restricted on a day like today because of various COVID restrictions, it's more painful than any other day of the year. Caring for others and so forth. And I guess in a way this year... It comes as, as a welcome and paradoxical relief uh, while we continue our anxiety about COVID and so forth. But at its heart, it's about something even deeper than that. Take this sentence from John chapter 1. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's an affirmation about life, about us, and it's most importantly about God. I, I want to put the matter starkly by, in a stark way, thanks to the world's grumpiest, grumpiest atheist. I refer, of course, to Richard Dawkins. And you may have heard this quote before, but it's a very powerful quote of what reality is if there actually is no reality to God, if God is not real. I quote, in a universe, he says, of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get lucky, other people are going to get hurt. And you won't find any rhyme or reason to it, nor any justice. Then I think, I think quoting Darwin, the universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference, close quote. Nothing but pitiless indifference is what is at the very heart of things, says the view of Richard Dawkins and those who also, like him, believe there is no God. Very stark, although I admire the honesty of the point of view. I admire the honesty. If that's true, then Christmas is a kind of brave whistling in the dark a little oasis of meaning and love in a desert of no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. That's one possible truth, you might say. Now, I want to contrast that with the astounding claim of the Christian gospel. Come with me through the, reading, the gospel reading from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He or you could translate it, it's referring to the word, was with God from the beginning. Through it all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. Let me make three simple points, I hope. Firstly, this view understands the universe, or reality, as being created. That is, brought into being out of nothing whose existence is owed to the living God's existence. And God does not need his, the world or anything else. He creates a world out of his own generosity and love. So in this view, reality around us is not just a thing, it's a gift. A recent writer describing the revolution which the Christian faith brought to the classical world said this, 
It produced a vision of the world as a gratuitous gift of divine love, good in itself. That's what's at the heart of things on this view. Now, I know the, the world as we know it is subject to decay and frustration and futility. It's not, there is a pall on this world. It's not a perfect world. But at its heart, existence is the result of the love that created for love so that it may respond and be in relationship with the God who made it, who is himself love. Importantly, this is all made through God's word, who is life and power. Verse 3, through him or through the word, all things were made through the word and without him nothing was made that's been made. Now, on one level, that's quite simple. It's a gloss, in fact, on the opening sentences of the Bible, Genesis 1. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God speaks, and it happens. Or Psalm 36, 33, verse 6. But the, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. God speaks, as it were, and creation happens. But it's not actually that simple, because here in John 1... God's word is distinguished in some way from God. And yet, even as God's word is intrinsic to God's identity. Those opening words, every sentence is simple, but together, a deep, complex meaning. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God or before God, and the word was God. Those three sentences. It was with God in the beginning. And further, God's word is also the light of human beings, the light of humanity, in a world where darkness threatens. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. And here's, here's a great sentence for troubled days like today. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Taken hold of it, grasped it, mastered it, overcome it. That, that one sentence is something we should hold on to in a difficult and troubling, anxious time. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It cannot win. The darkness will not be, have the last word. So that's the first thing. God's, God's creation, this world is creation through his word, who is the light of life. Two, we're not dealing just with the deep truth behind what exists, there's also a truth about human history with important consequences. The next sentence in John 1 is one you wouldn't quite expect. It's a shift of gears. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that, that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Who is this John, this testifier to the word which is light? No, it's not John who wrote the Gospel of John, which is what you'd expect, I'm afraid. It's this first John is the one that all four Gospels begin with. This other guy, identified as John the Baptizer, a prophet who rises in the first century just before Jesus goes public, as it were. But he's not the light, we're told. He came to, to bear witness to the light. And that's when you suddenly realise that testifying to the light is not bearing witness to an eternal truth, but to something quite astounding. Verse 9, the true light, 
that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. That is, coming into the world, an historical coming into human time and space. The entry of the world into the world by the word through which everything is made. It's a kind of strange doubling up here. God creates everything through his word, who is with God. And then the word enters into that which has been made. A doubling up. And that coming into the world has a tragic dimension. There's a terrible irony about this. It's, it's a divisive entry. You'd think if the source of all being somehow became into the world itself, if, if uh, the author of the play turns up as a character in his own play, you'd say, surely he would be welcomed. But no, it's divisive. Verse 9. The true light that enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. This tells you something about this world and about human beings, humanity itself. There is a blindness and a darkness. There is a blindness and a darkness. Although it seems human beings can be blind and dark and not recognize, have a turn or back away from the source of life and light. And yet, it goes on to say, by the grace and power of God, there are others for whom this is very different. Verse 13, yet 12 rather, yet to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor a human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. It's speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, though he's not named, in fact, until verse 18. That's what we're talking about. That's why it's a text for Christmas Day. The world created by God through his word, which is light. The light comes into the world, giving power to those who receive him to become themselves children of God. And lastly, the glory of the word among us. As yet, we've not been told how the light came into the world. <clears throat> now it's made explicit. Verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He made his dwelling, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, fully into human life and history. Became flesh is a way of saying he took, he took to himself humanity. <clears throat> he added humanity up to himself so that he is the divine word and, and the son of the father eternally, but fully human, not just a covering, not, not just a thin veil, not, not let's pretend, so that he is subject, like the rest of us, to the logic of biology, the logic of human politics, the logic of fear and loss and uncertainty. And in fact, if you keep reading John's Gospel, to the very logic of going to death itself for us. 
flesh emphasise the meatiness, if I could you made the point, of, of the words coming into, into the world. But I'm interested in the last phrase. We have seen his glory. Here is, to us readers, the testimony of others. This we telling us that they have seen his glory. Already we've seen in this prologue the testimony of one John the Baptist. But there's an even more significant testimony hidden in the phrase, we have seen his glory. Testimony is when you experience something yourself and you speak to others about it who believe it on the basis of your integrity in speaking of it. And the gospel of John is itself, as it unfolds, it's more explicit. There is a group of disciples or students of Jesus who have accompanied him and have seen his glory in his works and words. And this gospel is a testimony to the reader, for those who would read it. We have seen his glory, we have seen his glory, the glory of a one and only son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. But the key is the glory of the one and only son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. For this really is the climax of this prologue. There's more to come, but the climax. We started with God and his word, or God and the word which is light, but now we shift to a deeper, a deeper reality. The Father and the Son, the divine Father and the divine Son, and the glory of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth, abounding in grace and truth, or full of grace and truth, is another way of saying abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness which is a key characteristic of God as he reveals himself in the Old Testament. He is the God full of grace and truth, steadfast love and faithfulness. And that's what they see in the Son, the Word made flesh. They see the glory of the Father reflected in the Son. It is the glory of the eternal divine relationship of Father and Son in the Spirit the glory of love and faithfulness, each giving and receiving from each other in mutual love and delight in trustworthiness. That's the God revealed in the world, in the flesh. And so, ladies and gentlemen, we come to that stark alternatives. At the bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. Or as the gospel proclaims, at the heart of reality, God, not just God, the God who is made known to be tr true and loving through the glory of the Father in the only Son. Jesus Christ is, we proclaim today, the truth about God.